In 2017, an article was written that broke down how much time the average person spends on typical tasks throughout their lifetime. So taking a lifespan of about 80 years, the average person will spend a total amount of time of 26 of those years sleeping. On top of that, they'll spend about seven years worth of time in their lives just trying to get to sleep. That's 33 years of our lives all dedicated to sleep. But don't worry, there's still 47 years left in the tank. Of course, a little more than 13 of those years will be spent with work, our careers. About four and a half of those years will be spent eating. In contrast, less than one and a half years of our lives on average spent exercising. We dedicate about three years to going on vacation. The study found that we spend over the course of our lifetime 115 days laughing found that ladies spend 136 days worth of time in their lives getting ready to go out compared to 46 days for men. I would like to point out I did not write this study. We will spend on average 11 years in front of screens, television, our cell phones, just from a few of these activities we've looked at, the average person who lives to 80 years of age will spend 66 years of their life sleeping, eating, exercising, working, going on vacation, and glued to the television or their phone. That doesn't leave a lot of time for other things. Thinking in terms like this, we might start to realize just how short life is. That it's true that time, time flies by made me wonder this week, am I making the most of the years that the Lord is giving me? And then I started to wonder how much time we spend as Christians on the far more important and eternal things. How much time do we spend throughout our lives with the Lord in prayer and in Scripture? How much time do we spend worshiping Him alongside our fellow believers? How much time do we spend sharing our faith with others? And so on. Believers, time is short in this life, and time is one of the things that Jesus had on his mind as we turn together this morning to John chapter 12, verse 20. And if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. John chapter 12, verse 20. Like I said, time is one of the things Jesus had on his mind. Now, he wasn't concerned with these typical tasks that I was mentioning. He was concerned with far more important and eternal things. And as we get ready to enter the text, keep in mind that this is taking place in Jerusalem during the time leading up to Passover and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday, that has already happened. We looked at that together. So we may only be a little over halfway through the Gospel of John, but that means that we have already entered the final week of Jesus' ministry. We pick up together this morning in John chapter 12, verse 20. It says this. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, 
Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. I know it's early in the text, but I'd like us to just pause here so we can get our bearings together. Although Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel, the Jews had by and large rejected him, as they would do days after this in dramatic fashion when they called for his crucifixion. Days before they did that, we find this group of Gentiles were asking for him. They wanted to see him. Now, we don't know their exact reason, whether it was to ask questions or fellowship or maybe even to follow him, but Jesus knew that things were drawing to a close. That soon, both Jews and Gentiles alike could come together in faith in Jesus as equal parts of God's church. But something had to happen first. Look at verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now let's pause right here, church. While people were seeking an audience with him, Jesus had his sights set on something else. You see, Jesus didn't come for popularity. He came to take our punishment For sin, the purpose of the incarnation, when the Son of God came down from heaven and took on flesh, was always so that he could willingly lay down his life for us. Because keep in mind, we can't make up for our sins that we have committed in this life. We can't cover them with our good works. We can't erase them with church attendance. We can't pray long enough to distract God from them. If God is just and holy, then sin must be punished. So Jesus came to take the punishment for us. And Jesus tells them that the hour has come. Only days after this, Jesus would go to the cross for our sins. Just as a seed falls in the soil, resulting in new life after it dies, bringing forth a harvest of new wheat, so it was that through the death of Christ, forgiveness and eternal life would be made available to all who come to him in faith. Jesus came to die for us. Jesus was going to be glorified, just not the way that a lot of the people there thought. He wasn't going to be glorified through a crown or through conquering. He was going to be glorified through the cross. And his death on the cross, his powerful resurrection from the dead three days later, and his ascension to heaven were all at hand. And he was going to be glorified through these things. But when Jesus rode into Jerusalem amidst great praise and fanfare, many of the Jews thought that a literal kingdom and the overthrow of Rome was at hand. Those thinking that that this was the time to to take part in a rebellion, that following Jesus was going to bring political freedom and financial gain, those individuals were now being given a wake-up call. Those who follow Jesus shouldn't be preparing to take up arms 
they should be preparing to take all that they hold dear in life and throw it away if they must in order to follow Christ. To hate one's life isn't to be unkind to ourselves, but to put Jesus as our priority, to serve and follow him above all others, to follow him and be found where he is, no matter what that might mean for ourselves. Jesus knew that his time was short leading to his crucifixion. So he shares these truths with the people, and he says that he was troubled. Jesus didn't just see the physical pain that was waiting for him when he was going to be beat, whipped, and crucified. He didn't just see the humiliation when he was spit on and mocked and paraded to the execution site. He also saw the great weight of sin and shame that was going to be laid on him because of what we have done. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And through his resurrection, he opened the door for all to come to eternal life through faith in him, both Jew and Gentile. And maybe some of the people there on this day, maybe they thought, maybe they thought he was crazy. Maybe they thought that he was a madman. They had called him that before. But that, that's not the case. Jesus wasn't crazy. He was saying these things because his time was short. The people needed to hear these things. And even the Father in heaven spoke confirming these things. Now, if you heard God speak from heaven, what would you do? Would that change maybe how you were living that day? Or how you would live all the rest of your days? Let's see how the people responded. Look at verse 29. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The crowd, they just they didn't understand. I mean, to them, didn't they just, they just praise Jesus? Hail him, the, the king of Israel, when he rode into Jerusalem, and now he's talking about dying? They thought that the Messiah was going to come and reign forever. They didn't understand that the death of the Lord would bring the opportunity for eternal life. They missed the meaning of the metaphor about the kernel of wheat, just like they missed the fact that Jesus had performed countless miracles. They missed that because those miracles had demonstrated his divinity. They missed all the prophecies Jesus had fulfilled, proving that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They missed his teachings about who he is and the importance of faith in him. So it's almost no surprise that they missed what was happening when God the Father spoke from heaven. Many of them were too spiritual, excuse me, unspiritual to understand. Too unspiritual. So some of them said it was just Thunder. They did what unbelievers often do when God does something incredible. They reach for some sort of natural explanation to explain it away. Others knew that it was spiritual, but they couldn't discern what it was, so they attributed it to the voice of angels. But both groups were wrong. It's the voice of the Father from heaven. And if you're like me, I was reading the narrative this week, and I got up to this point, point. it was so frustrating. 
to read these responses. But you know what's incredible to me? It's how patient Jesus was with them. The people were so willfully ignorant and doubtful, despite all that they had seen and heard, yet Jesus didn't lash out at them. They were the very ones that he came to save, and they were the very ones who were resisting him. Yet he was patient with them. I like how the King James Version at times translates the word patience in the Bible. Sometimes it translates that word instead as long-suffering. I like that word. I think it describes our Lord well. Long-suffering. Our Lord is slow to anger. He's abundant in love and mercy. And you see that here. And you know what's incredible to me? It's how patient he is with us. How patient Jesus is. How in our moments of stubborn ignorance, unbelief, or disobedience, the Lord is long-suffering towards his people and towards the world today. You see, just as he desired these crowds to know the truth, he desires the world to know it today as well. And the world today needs to understand, like the crowd did on this day, that time is short for all of us. So Jesus said this in verse 35. Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. The people had all this time with Jesus. Three years to sit at his feet, hear his teaching, witness his miracles, and then turn to him in faith that he is the Son of God and the Savior. But that time was coming to a close. Jesus said that the light would only be around a little while longer. So he tells them that the time is short. Soon he would be gone. Not only that, but soon for each of them, there'd be no more opportunity to respond in saving faith because life was going to end for all of them. So he tells them to respond while they still can. And this is still true for all people. Life is fleeting. It flies by. We spend so much of our lives on trivial things without considering the far greater thing. So many people today spend their time in spiritual darkness, chasing after the pleasures of this world, and they never take time to consider eternity. Maybe if they did, they would see the light, step into it by faith, embrace Jesus, and become children of the light. Unfortunately, many unbelievers, they go through life chasing the pleasures and profit of the flesh without any consideration for what comes next. And the sad thing is that many Christians fall into the same thing and start storing up for themselves treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven. Friends, our first response should be to believe in Jesus and then follow him as long as we can because this life is short, time is short, and it is leading to something longer. It is leading to something eternal. And the Bible is clear that each of us will face an eternity either separated from God forever in a place of torment called hell, or in eternity in the presence of God in His joy and great glory. See, we have a short time to decide where we are going to spend the rest of time. Look at verse 37. 
Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. It says that even after all the miracles Jesus had performed, which, by the way, keep in mind, included the raising of Lazarus from the dead back to life, after all these miracles, many would still not believe in him. How is that even possible? How could you see the works of God, hear the very voice of God, and still refuse to believe? Well, it tells us how that's possible. It's because their hearts were hard to the things of God. And they had done this to themselves. Let's understand that. It's when people willingly reject God, cling to sin and unbelief, that God in turn gives them over to the very things they have chosen. It's when we choose to harden our hearts that God allows that choice to be multiplied in our lives. And that stubborn unbelief can be very difficult to overcome. A great pastor of years gone by explained this truth to a group of young children in Sunday school one day this way. He said, girls and boys, each time that you say no to Jesus, your heart gets a little harder. And as you keep on saying no, the heart gets harder and harder and harder until by and by God calls it a heart of stone. Then after that, you'll no longer care about the things of God. You'll persist in rejecting His grace until one day you die in your sins. I think it's a good explanation of that hardening of heart. Well, on that day, there was a five-year-old girl in Sunday school who was captivated by what the pastor said. When her mother brought her home, she raced in to find her father. You see, he didn't care about the things of God, about church, about scripture, so he didn't go to church with them. So he was home that day reading the Sunday paper when his daughter rushed in and leapt into his lap. And she looked at him and she said, Daddy, Daddy, feel your heart. Is there a stone in there? He said, what are you talking about? She said, well, the... The man at Sunday school said that if you say no to Jesus, you're going to get a stone in your stomach. Do you have a stone in there? Oh, I hope that you don't, because if you do, you can't be saved. Well, the man was really confused at this point, and he looked to his wife, who explained things a little bit further for him. And after she did, the man saw the tears in his wife's eyes, his young daughter, whose arms were around his neck, and he began to understand things a little more clearly. That's when he looked up and said, I think it's time for me to settle this thing. And he got down on his knees and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And if only more people would come to faith in Jesus, and if only more of us Christians would stop being so scared to share the gospel with our family and friends who may just need to hear it that one more time. But time is slipping away, and many have still not believed. Can a heart of stone still be saved? Of course. 
Of course, because with God, all things are possible. Jesus told us that in Matthew chapter 19. But tearing down those walls of stone, well, often that can take time. And we have precious little time in this life. The sad is the one who chooses to harden their heart towards God. Then there are others, there are others who want to believe, but they want to believe in secret, like those who hid their faith for fear of the Pharisees. They were the ones who loved life and the things of this life. But what did Jesus say at the beginning? He said, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. Believers, are we ashamed of our faith? Do we fear the insults of men and want their praise instead? Our faith was never meant to be kept secret. Verse 44. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus came to save, not to condemn. Yet those who stay in their unbelief, like the hard-hearted individuals there on that day, they stand condemned already. This is a truth we already saw in the book of John together many weeks ago. John chapter 3, verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus was telling the people that time is short. Not just His time before going to the cross, but time was short for them to come to faith in Him. And time was short before they would stand before the judge on the last day. And the same is true today. This life is brief, and there are so many people out there saying no to Jesus and hardening their hearts and chasing after the things of this life. They don't realize or understand that these days that fly by, they will come to an end, and at the end, they will stand before the judge. And friends, where we stand with Christ in this life will determine what happens when we stand before Christ at the end of this life. This life is brief. Time is short. If you're here and you've already put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then believers, let's recognize we don't have much time before we will be with the Lord. And we need to ask ourselves, are we living for Him right now? We look forward to the day when we are going to step into eternity, but before then, let's, let's continue living for the Lord. Let's not abandon those who are hardening their hearts. Instead, believers, let's get down to our Heavenly Father's business and share the truth with others that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, to pay their penalties so that they could receive forgiveness. Let's share the truth with them that He didn't stay in the grave, but that He rose from the dead, and that they too, by putting their faith in Him, can have a new and eternal 
life. Believers, let's make the most of this time that we have. I understand that today is a day where we celebrate the freedoms we have. And believers, let's make the most of those freedoms by boldly, publicly, and loudly proclaiming Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, as the only way to salvation. Let's do that with these freedoms that we have, so that even if we should lose these freedoms, we would already be prepared to continue boldly, loudly, and openly proclaiming Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, as the only way to salvation. Remember this truth, believers. The time we spend with the Lord and for the Lord is never wasted time in this life. The time we spend with the Lord and for the Lord is never wasted time. So let's get down to living for the Lord and sharing the gospel. If you're joining us today and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand that you must decide what you will do with Jesus Christ and whether or not you will believe in Him. You can reject God's grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. You can claim that those are things that you don't want and that you don't need. No one is going to force Jesus on you. You can choose to live forever in your sin. In fact, that is a freedom that God gives you to choose. But friend, please understand that one thing you cannot do is escape God in the end. We will all stand before the judge. When you stand before him, will you stand before him condemned because of your unbelief and destined for an eternity in hell? Or will you stand before him forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? You must decide. The choice that you make in this life will determine what happens after this life. And friend, time is short. This life is brief. I pray that before you leave today, you would choose to give your life to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? If that's you, if you are here today and you know that Jesus isn't your Savior, but you are ready for all of that to change, please understand that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're ready to go to Jesus Christ and give him your life, to go to him for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, then tell him right now, wherever you are, go to him in prayer. There's no specific way that you must pray. Go to him in faith and give him your life. Ask him for that forgiveness, that salvation, and he will forgive you. He will save you. Put your faith in Him. Because the Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone joining us on campus, online, on the radio, that has never made that decision, that today they would give their life to Jesus Christ. Because we don't know if we have more than today. For those of us who have made that decision, Father, help us to make the most of the time we have by living for you and by sharing you with others. Please give each of us an opportunity this week to share the gospel with someone. Help us to pray for those who have hard hearts. We know that nothing is impossible for you. Help us to be diligent to share the truth with them. Father, as we celebrate our freedoms that we have in this country, help us to celebrate even more loudly the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that in all these things you would be honored and you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.